Good morning, Eastridge. I come to you today from my apartment again in Edinburgh, Scotland, on my pastoral sabbatical. Uh, last time when I spoke to you, it was uh, kind of an intro into what I'm doing and why I am here. Uh, a lot more on Ireland and Belfast and the Troubles and St. Patrick and kind of all of all of that. And the further I go kind of into this season. Um, of a break, the more confident I am in what we have been called to, what I've been called to, what we have been called to as a church. So why Scotland? Why, why this part of, of the world? Well, I wanted to, you know, get, see a couple things. And the things that I wanted to see were primarily um, this church down the street. And this church down the street uh, is a for, not forgotten, but doesn't get the publicity that the other reformers do. When you hear the, the, the Protestant Reformation, you might immediately think of Martin Luther, John Calvin, Henry VIII. Um, and you hear kind of these big, big names. And you don't hear much about John Knox. In fact, um, he, I think, is woefully underrepresented because he was, he was awesome. And he is somebody that I have, you know, read quite a bit about because I'm fascinated by the Scottish Reformation. Because it, it happened almost as a reformation against Henry VIII, but also was against the Mary, Queen of Scots, who eventually becomes you know, the queen who gives birth to King James, who creates, he commissions the King James Bible. And that happened, uh, James was born two blocks that way. And there's a lot of church history on the street. And most people don't know too much about it. So John Knox was a remarkable figure. He, you know, began um, his ministry here uh, and a little bit south of here and began to hear, you know, a different representation of the gospel, of uh, the Bible in common language. This is all in the 1500s and, and the, the late 1500s when the Bible was, was initially printed and then distributed. And once people got the Bible in their hands, they, they saw that, hey, maybe some of what the priests are saying isn't exactly right. So, or what we're reading here. Then it goes to a whole different level because John Knox will get persecuted. He'll get shipped off to France. He'll come back. He'll have arguments with Mary. He, he begins to hold power um, and he takes over this church called St. Giles Cathedral, which is just down the way. And Justin will have, uh, we'll put in some uh, audio or not audio, video or pictures up in here somewhere. It's It's a beautiful beautiful church. And he is kind of the founder of the Reformation that takes hold here. And he takes over this cathedral and he he takes off all of the kind of Catholic monuments and he centers the entire um, service around preaching and the sermon and the teaching of the gospel. And if nothing else happened, that's what happened at, at his services and getting into the Bible, getting into the Word, but really willing to take risks. I mean, he stood up to the Queen. He got 
kicked out of the country, fought his way back. And they tried to buy him off, actually. They, they tried to give him a church when he, when he fought his way back and he got his, uh, you know, back into this part of the world again. They said, hey, why don't you take this really nice church down in London? Why don't you take this? It's quiet. You can live out the rest of it. He's like, nah, he ended up coming back up to this part of the world. And he took uh, this kind of riffraffy congregation and uh, preached the gospel. And it grew and grew and grew and eventually became the bishop here in Edinburgh at St. Giles. And out of St. Giles sparked, you know, all kinds of controversy, uh, power struggles with the queen. And he won. And he won because he just steadfastly just kept going. He just kept preaching. He just kept teaching. He didn't hold himself in high esteem. That was the, the kind of the hallmark of every, uh, of all of these reformers was taking down the hierarchy of, of the church because there was a lot of hierarchy. And um, he's hilarious to me, but it's so him. He's buried out back. And he's buried what is now a parking lot. And the, this kind of mountain of, of the shoulders that we are standing on, we're talking about stories. This man you know, is responsible, through God, God's blessing, is responsible for pretty much every Presbyterian church you see um, in the world. But he's also responsible for Christianity taking hold as an expression outside of Catholicism in this part of the world and then everywhere. He's buried out back in the parking lot and there's this little plaque in parking space 23 saying, you know, here lies John Knox. That's it. Uh, that's him. And that's what, what I really am fond of him. Cause he, it wasn't about him. It wasn't about fame. It wasn't about him getting the credit for this. It wasn't about, you know, for, fortune. He could have had that in London. He, re he rejected it. It was about sharing this gospel that had so attracted him and had, had transformed his life. And he was willing to do absolutely anything. So the last sermon that I gave, I don't know when these are going to get posted. Um, I use John 15 and I'll, and I'll use it again here. It says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his, I have told you this so that you, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this love each other as I have loved you greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. What did Jesus command us to do? And if we do those things, we remain in his love. So what did he command us? What was his last command? It was go, tell everybody. Tell everybody about this. Tell everybody what has happened here, the resurrection, the redemption, the salvation of your souls. Tell the next generation, tell the, the, those who are blind, take, help them see, help them, oh, the table's moving, help them uh, find hope and resurrection again. That, that's our mission. That's our cause. It's really cool.
And as I reflect on this and I see the life of these reformers that were willing to go to the gallows, I mean, um, it wasn't just Catholics versus Protestants then. It was Protestants who were Protestants. That's what that means. Versus Protestants. You know, the Lutherans were, were drowning the Anabaptists because the, the, the Anabaptists were baptizing adults. And the Lutherans didn't like that. So that's where they kind of planted their flag and said, nope, that's too much. Let's drown people. Let's fight each other. We've done this constantly. That is, in our humanity, is to tear each other down, is to tear each other apart. And, and that is not just in the Christian world. Our humanity is that, is if I can step on that guy, I will move myself up. What if we as the people of faith reject that? And what if we just love people, share the message, don't lie to them, and share the gospel with them, the truth, the reality of what we're dealing with here, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, but we have to submit to his will and we have to follow him and we have to say and express that, you know what, I I don't have it all put together, but I know someone that does. That is what drives me. And as I kind of walk and wander uh, through this part of the world, uh, it is an interesting thing to see the churches that have closed And there's a lot. Um, The churches that are now just museums don't even offer services, but you can come and, you know, take a tour of what used to be. I'm curious uh, when the American church will start to follow in this trajectory. And we have, and we are in a way we're, we're a generation away from this. And I think of those early missionaries that took the gospel to the four corners of the world Um, how much opportunity we have to share the message of Christ with our neighbors. But we're not willing to get uncomfortable. We don't want to bother them. We're too worried about people taking offense. And trust me, I've done it too. And I'm inspired by these reformers who didn't care. They knew what putting themselves out there like this was going to do, what it meant to their families, what it meant to their career, what it meant to, you know, who their, their life's path. They were instructed and Jesus had told them what to do and they just did it. That's inspiring to me. And it should be inspiring to all of us because we are producing good fruit at Eastridge. Um, but the, the church in its entirety is right now in the decline in the West, the rapid decline in the West, because we are not uh, preaching this or teaching this or showing this in a relevant enough manner to capture the attention of a community or a city that largely deems Jesus irrelevant to their lives. Why does a man dying on a cross 2,000 years ago have anything to do with me? So we have not shared why in an effective enough manner to capture the, the gaze of, of our city. And now, you know, the West is feeling that, um, feeling the, the 
the pro the product of what has been going on for quite a while. This isn't like, hey, just past 18 months, well, this is all of a sudden came out of nowhere. It, it hasn't. We can see this coming, moving down the pipe. So this is not going to be a quick fix, but we have to start pruning those branches now if we want to have a church that's continuing to produce fruit well into the future. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So we can't get focused on ourselves. We can't get focused in on what my preferences or what, you know, this person wants or what, you know, is more comfortable for me. It has to be, this is what Jesus wants us to do. Says, if you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. And branches are picked up, they're thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing that you, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So what kind of fruit are we producing uh, at, at our church, but also the, the big church? And what does that say about our connection to the vine? It's what I've been reflecting on quite a bit on this journey so far as, you know, as the past 12 years of Eastridge, but in really the past two years has been very difficult. Um, not we've Eastridge is doing great, but just in terms of like my own, uh, faith life, you know, you get tired. Um, so this has been a wonderful break and I look forward to coming back and um, teaching again. It's been really nice not have a sermon to prepare every week, to take a little bit of a break and refill my spiritual uh, tank. That's been cool, and um, but I'm excited to share this gospel again in a hopefully relevant manner. And I'm just privileged that you want me to do that. But we all get to do this, all of us get to share this gospel. I get to do it from a stage, but I also get to do it personally. And we need to do it individually. So from a rainy apartment in Edinburgh, um, I just want to say thank you. This has been an experience that I'll never forget so far. Uh, It has been emotional at times for me to finally get here. And to finally uh, sit in the seat next to John Knox's pulpit. There's a picture of it here. That Justin will show. It's really ornate and obviously the center of this church. Because he saw, he saw that the most important thing to any church were the words of Christ. And the more that we can consume them, through worship, through preaching, through you know studying, the more then we can put them into action. You can hear the word, but until you do the word, that's when it really takes off. So thank you, and uh, I'll be seeing you soon. And uh, hopefully I did all of this technology stuff right. So God bless. <laughs>